This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of the Treasure Island Baseball Network. It's time for your weekly trip around the bases with your hometown team. It's Inside Twins, where we dive into the minds of the guys in charge for insight, information, and analysis. Inside Twins is brought to you by Continental Diamond, home of the best diamonds outside of Target Field. Here's your host of Inside Twins, Corey Provis. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Southern California on a lovely Sunday here once again at Anaheim, California. Twins and the Angels set to wrap up this four-game series as the Twins conclude stop number one on this three-city, ten-game, 11-day West Coast road swing. Twins and the Angels coming up about an hour from now. The pitching matchup, Jose Barrios, 3-1 and one against former twin Ricky Nolasco, 2-5 and five with an ERA of 448 so far this season. I'm Corey Provis. We thank you for tuning in. You can reach us in two ways via email, inside twins at twinsbaseball.com or on Twitter, hashtag inside twins. And our guest in our Sunday program is the general manager of the Minnesota Twins. We say good afternoon. Joining us on the telephone to Thad Levine. Thad, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on, Corey. Always great to visit with you. Uh, how's your week going? It is spectacular. Beautiful weather here in Minneapolis as well today. That's very nice. It's been quite the week, uh, Thad, for the ball club. I think you go back to Sunday, the marathon game against Tampa Bay, and we joked the first two weeks of the season that you went 16 games and not a single roster transaction. But, boy, that's picked up in a big way here in recent days. And I think I think you know that's going to happen over the course of the year, and that's why we focus so much in the offseason when we talk to our scouts and our player development guys that it's imperative that we have the next line of defense and the wave of, of after that. And, and I think one thing that's impacted our team that is probably a little bit more subtle than most fans would recognize is just then the amount of injuries we've had in that next line of defense. Guys like JT Shagwa, Ryan O'Rourke, Trevor May, uh, even Jake Reed and, and Nick Birdie, guys that we had hoped would be factors for us coming into our pitching staff at some point in the course of the season. Some, we expected to start the season with us, and then the rest of that group we expected to impact us at some point throughout the course of the year. And unfortunately, we've sustained a lot of injuries throughout that group of guys. You then compound it with what transpired in that Tampa game, really impacting both teams dramatically, just the volume of arms we had to use that day and really knocked us on our heels heading into a series with, uh, if that's not the best team in baseball right now, it certainly is the hottest team in baseball, the Houston Astros. Yeah, the Astros, the only team in baseball right now with 40 wins. They won again yesterday. They have won 9 of 10, and uh, the Astros certainly look to be the top dog in Major League Baseball right now. The catalyst to go to an eight-man bullpen, Thad, was it simply the long game last Sunday? It, it, it was, and, you know, it's it's really one of the unfortunate casualties of that was, was Vargas. Uh, you know, I think tennis has had a really nice start to his season in the big leagues. Uh, really done some positive things for us offensively. And I think you saw how Paul Molitor was using him as in a rotation w- with guys like Joe Maurer and, 
and, and Robbie Grossman and, and the two corner outfielders to give all those guys ample rest and, and mix and match against very advantageous matchups for them offensively. And, and Kenneth was a guy who was really contributing. So it, it was unfortunate that he was, he was a bit of a casualty of that process of that, that lengthened out game. Uh, we hope to get him back up here in short order when we can get back down to a seven man pen. Uh, but a lot of credit, I think, goes to our pen over the last three to four games as we've really done a good job of stabilizing things. Uh, even in, in last night when we had a shortened out, outing by Irvin, uh, we still were able to get some length out of our bullpen, and I think that helps immeasurably as we're probably getting close to feeling that we can go back to a seven-man pen here in short order. Yeah, can you elaborate on that point that what, what are the determining factors to get back down to a seven-man pen? Well, you know, one, one thing that we've implemented this year, which I, and I give uh, credit where it's due to, to, to Jeff Tickler and, and, some, and Jeremy Hefner and, and Nick Beecham in our, in our office has done a, a lot of work on creating what we call a, a relief pitcher monitor, which is not, not overly sophisticated, but what it, in essence it does is it provides Paul and Neil Allen and Eddie Guardado with a snapshot heading into each game of how much the, the pitchers have been used in recent time uh, what state that puts them in and, and how they perform in those states. So, you know, whether that, that player is fresh and available for that night or, or limited or even potentially emergency. So really the impetus for us to go from seven to eight was just the fact that we weren't giving Paul and Neil enough options going into the game if we stuck with seven just because some of our, so many of our guys had been exhausted uh, in how many times they'd been used in the previous three to four games. So, it was incumbent upon us, I think, to, to go to eight so we didn't put anybody in harm's way because the worst-case scenario is not a poor performance by a pitcher. It's putting him in a position where he could risk getting injured and then you're losing him for an extended period of time. And we certainly wanted to avoid that at all costs. You know, Thad, I've seen that sheet that, uh, that, that you referenced there a moment ago. It's more than just this guy's good today or he's unavailable. There are all sorts of numbers that come into it, the stress that that pitcher had the day before, the workload, all that. Was that an idea that you and Derek and others had, even going back to the offseason? Well, I, I think it's just it's part of the evolution of the game at this juncture where you know, it used to be that the, the bullpen coach and the pitching coach would go up to every reliever and almost regardless of how much they pitched and say, what do you got for me today? And then from that they would advise the manager and say, I think we got you know, four innings out of our bullpen today. Well, what this allows for is really more of an objective view of when these guys are in these current states, when they've thrown two out of three games or, you know, three out of four, how do they perform on the field? And, and I think those are becoming a little bit more instructive for us as we're trying to plan for that day's game and realistically advise Paul and Neil as to how many innings we have out of our pen, how much protection we have if we get into an extended extra inning game or if our starting pitcher, you know, really struggles out of the gate. So, it's something that we've implemented this year, but I think it's, it's an evolution in the game, uh, game-wide, but it was something that you know, we used in Texas and, and Derek used in Cleveland as well, and it was something that we felt was really helpful to the manager, quite frankly, in terms of how he, he game plans throughout the course of the day. And, and so it's, it's a tool we wanted to provide Paul, and, and I think he's really embraced it. You know, that, that phrase, evolution of the game, Thad, I want to take a break and come back on the other side and shift that conversation to the hitting aspect. And a lot of articles written this week about launch angle revolving hitters and involving hitters. And I want to get your take on that when we come back, if we can. It's Inside Twins brought to you by Continental Diamond, home of the best diamonds outside of Target Field. We're live in Los and I should say, in Anaheim. Uh, more of Inside Twins next at your home for Twins Baseball. 
Welcome back to Inside Twins, brought to you by Continental Diamond, home of the best diamonds outside of Target Field. Twins and the Angels coming up at uh, 2.30 Central Time today. Ricky Delasco, former twin today for the Angels. Jose Barrio seeking win number four, throwing for the Twins. I'm Corey Provis in Anaheim. Thad Levine, the Twins GM, joins us on the phone for our Sunday program. And Thad, if we can go back to the evolution of the game, and there were, there were some great articles written this week. I read one in the Washington Post, and Buster only had one out today from ESPN about launch angle and hitters who have changed their swings, trying to get more lift in the ball. Is that being coached? Is that being preached upon by organizations, or are hitters making that change themselves? You know, I, th- I think that probably started with the hitters making this change themselves. I, I think this is a little bit of a product of what we pay players for. So you're seeing players who have significant power production getting paid more than the guy who is, is kind of the, the more offensive hit tool guy, but not extra base power guy. And I think as a result, you're starting to see a maturation of, of younger hitters who are trying to uh, enhance their ability to hit the ball out of the ballpark. So I think it started there. I'm sure some teams are actually formally training their hitters to to try to achieve that. And you know, you, you think of a few guys who have really emerged recently, and, and you know, certainly Brian Dozier has a great launch angle, and Chris Davis from the Oakland Athletics has emerged with one of the better launch angles in the game. And then you see kind of the other end of the spectrum, a guy like Max Kepler, who who does not has yet to kind of really incorporate that into his offensive game. And as a result, you see a guy who has one of the best exit velocities, uh, certainly on our team, and then I think one of the better ones in the American League, but who isn't necessarily having as much uh, impact with regards to home runs that he's taking. Now, he's hit a few recently, but I think for anybody who's been a fan of the Minnesota Twins this year, uh, he has certainly had a ton of line drive outs to the, the, the center fielder and the right fielder balls that were just scorched that almost never got higher than head high. If and when he starts incorporating that into his, his offense, I, a lot of those balls are going to start leaving the ballpark. But I think you then have to analyze at what cost, you know, how, how many line drive singles and doubles are you giving up and sacrificing in the name of chasing the home run. And I think that's the balance as you're trying to put together a dynamic offensive unit. So this could be a, a new way of thinking and a new philosophy for hitters, but is there some concern from your seat and others in the front office that a guy like Jorge Polanco, who's got a couple of home runs, he shouldn't be so focused on that as opposed to a guy like Max, as opposed to a guy, say, Josh Donaldson, that's their game, lift, power, as opposed to like a guy that's going to be a singles hitter, get on base, hoping they don't buy in to what's become maybe a popular trend for sluggers in the game today. And, and I think that comes back to that as teams, we're going to need to pay those guys accordingly, and we're going to need to reward those players for being productive, functional parts of your offense, but not necessarily the guy who's driving in all the runs, the guy who's maybe the table setter, the guy who's scoring ahead of Miguel Sano and, and Kenneth Vargas and, and Max Kepler as those guys hit the ball off and over the wall. So, I think it's all about putting together a very sound, offensive, dynamic unit that can beat you in a variety of ways. I, I do think one thing we saw this offseason relative to launch angle is there was a lot of power on the, the free agent market. And a lot of those guys needed to wait quite deep into the offseason to get jobs. And I think that speaks to the fact that as much as we pay for that throughout the course of arbitration and occasionally in free agency, teams recognize that that and that alone – 
is, does not typically make a championship-caliber offense. And so it takes the Jorge Polanco's, the Robbie Grossman's, the Byron Buxton's to balance out that lineup. Uh, and then, obviously, you'd, you'd like to have a few guys in the middle who can do some damage. But when you've got a guy like that who, like Miguel Sano, can also command the strike zone and draw walks and get on base, uh, that's when you really have the special players. The, the guys who are kind of a little bit the all-or-nothing uh, I think you're seeing those guys last a little bit longer in the free agent market as we are recognizing uh, it's tough to win a championship if you've got nine of those guys in your lineup. One more thought on that, Fab, before we take our next break. Shifting that conversation down to the minor league level, do you want a guy like Nick Gordon focusing in on launch angle, a guy like Wander Javier, some of the young hitters you have in the system right now, should that not be an area of focus with where they're at this early in their professional careers? I don't think so. I think they're still really coming into their own offensively. And I think, you know, who Wander Javier and, and Nick Gordon were when we signed them relative to their, their swing path, their, their offensive approach, and who they will be when they're in the big leagues are two different guys. And probably ultimately when they settle into uh, the sweet part of their career, they're going to evolve even more. You know, the best hitters in the game are constantly making adjustments. I don't think we want to force those types of adjustments, especially something that demonstrative. It speaks not only to a mechanical change, but it's also a philosophical change offensively. We want those guys to continue doing what they do best, which is getting on base. Uh, once they start coming into their, their you know, man strength and they know the league a little bit better, I think the power will come. But those two guys, Jorge Polanco, those are the guys that we want to be dynamic offensive guys who can beat you with a single, beat you with their legs, beat you with a walk, they don't necessarily have to be the guys who are beating you by hitting the ball out of the ballpark. I think that will come and that will happen from time to time, but that shouldn't be the focal part of their offense. That's fascinating stuff right there, Thad. We'll take a break, come back, get some injury updates on Glenn Perkins and Phil Hughes and some others. More of Inside Twins next on your home for Twins Baseball. Welcome back to Inside Twins, brought to you by Continental Diamond, home of the best diamonds outside of Target Field. I'm Corey Provis in Anaheim. Thad Levine, Twins GM, joins us on the phone. If that, if we can, shift the conversation now to some injury news and notes. Glenn Perkins in Florida, what's his status and uh, what's he doing down there? Glenn is starting to transition to a phase where he's going to start facing live hitting soon with the hope and goal that if he uh, feels good coming out of those sessions, uh, that we can start getting him in games in an extended spring and then ultimately get him out to an affiliate. I think he made a lot of progress in his last few throwing sessions in Minneapolis, uh, very encouraging. And, and most importantly, he was encouraged. You know, I think in these cases, as much as you rely heavily on the doctor, the, the, the patient, and the patient in this case is the player, uh, it's very important to get their feedback. And I think Glenn was encouraged and was optimistic it's still it's still a slow process. You know, when we got some reports back on his last throwing session, his velocity is starting to creep up. Uh, but just to manage expectations, I think it's still in the mid to upper 80s. And so it's it's one of those things where our goal is once he gets activated, hopefully he does not have to ever go back down or, or be put back on the DL. So we're going to be mindful of how he feels he's going through this process. But I think the signs are, are relatively encouraging at this point. And I know for Glenn, this has been a long road. So for, all, for his sake, primarily, I hope that uh, it goes without any further setback. Has he been told medically to just throw the fastball, two-seam, four-seam, or is he planning on throwing that slider right away as well? No, I think, I think you know, when you're in these types of rehab situations, you want to establish the fastball first and make sure that um, mechanically that doesn't cause any discomfort whatsoever before you start mixing in any sort of secondary stuff. So, 
certainly as he gets to a point uh, when he's getting ready to, to face live hitters in games, we'll want to make sure he has the weapons necessary to get them out. But uh, in the interim, we're going to make sure he establishes the fastball first. Secondary stuff will come after that. Has Phil Hughes begun any baseball-related activities yet? He hasn't. And, you know, in Phil's case, uh, you know, so sometimes when a player gets injured, it's crystal clear what, what the issue is. Uh, in other cases, such as Phil's, uh, we had to spend a little time ruling things out before we progressed forward. So he saw a battery of, of doctors, and I think the, the diagnosis now, we feel, we feel pretty confident that he is. Uh, we, we've, we've defined what the issues are, and so now we're, we've got a rehab program that is especially set out to, to help him get back to a point of pitching. Uh, but first things first, we want to make sure his body feels right. So we're doing some rehab first uh, on the medical side before we get back to the, the playing side of things. But our hope is that we'll have a uh, fullback here uh, in the near term at the big league level. All right, we'll take our last break, come back on the other side. It's a big week. The draft will take place a week from tomorrow. We'll dive into that. Our last few minutes here of Inside Twins with Thad Levine next on your home for Twins Baseball. Sunshine temperatures in the 70s today in Anaheim. Twins and the Angels coming up shortly. Chris is the pregame show after this. Then we'll have game four at 2.30 Central Time. Jose Barrios and Ricky Nolasco. Welcome back to Inside Twins, brought to you by Continental Diamond, home of the best diamonds outside of Target Field. The last few minutes with Thad Levine, who joins us on the telephone. Thad, a big week, right? The, the draft takes place a week from tomorrow. All the scouts arriving into town this week? It's, it's, it's a very exciting time. You know, we're, The team's playing well at the Major League level, and you have the energy surrounding the draft. Uh, Sean Johnson, our scouting director, Darren Johnson, Tim O'Neill, Mike Radcliffe, guys who have been out in the field just spending the last five months combing the United States and Puerto Rico and Canada for the best players that could become future Minnesota Twins. It's an exciting time. We all get in a room together. We start hashing out who we should select, not only first in the draft, but with each of the subsequent of 40 picks that we have, and it's, and it's a really energizing time for the whole franchise. Do you know what your role will be exactly during this process? Uh, reaching some of the magnets that are higher up on the board. Some of the rest of the group are kind of short. <laughs> uh, that, that will be one of them. Uh, you know, I, I think we're, we're actually meeting tomorrow with Sean Johnson and Tim O'Neill, who is his national cross-checker, and Derek and I will sit down and really try to hash out some of the roles uh, I think in large regard, uh, my, my responsibilities will be getting on the phone with representatives of players, negotiating potential signing bonuses, understanding what it would take if we, sign, if we were to select them in the draft, what they would sign for, so that we can map it out. There's a huge strategy to the draft. There's a finite amount of money we can spend, uh, and we want to make sure we maximize every dollar. So Derek, myself, Rob Anthony will be on the phone constantly with representatives gathering that information, providing it for Sean so that he can make the most informed decisions as he aspires to put together not, not only the best pick at the top of the draft, but really the best class of players that we can acquire uh, on the three days of the draft. Hey, Thad, uh, that'll do it for the show today. Thanks for joining us and enjoy your day with the family, and uh, we'll, we'll see you when we're back home next week. Thank you for having me on. Uh, we thank Thad Levine for his time. We have much more to come here on the Treasure Island Baseball Network. Chris, the pregame show coming up momentarily. And then game four, Barrios for the Twins at 3-1, and one, Nolasco 2-5 and five for the Angels. We thank you for tuning in. Much more to come. Twins and the Angels game four right here on your home for Minnesota Twins baseball.